song to call attention to the moment there's plenty of folks who have stepped up make sure that we do say her name and pay her her life the attention and search for justice that it deserves we on the show couldn't go another day without making sure that we do our part it's been over 120 days and it's getting ridiculous now we're going to make sure that we continue to share her story brianna taylor may not be a trending topic on twitter but i remember the week she was killed, it was March 13th. That was about the same time as this pandemic became very widespread and things start to shut down nationwide. So if you think that this pandemic has gone for a long time, that the inconveniences that you've been dealing with has gone on for too long, what is even worse than that is dealing with, with a pandemic and also not having your family member killer brought to justice. Right now, you have three police officers that were a part of this killing of what I believe is a model citizen, right? You have a EMT who is the kind of woman that you would want in any community killed in her sleep. So far, only one person has been fired, none arrested, none convicted, and none imprisoned. We have to make sure that it changes quickly. That should have been the case a long time ago. You can get fired for far less And it took a long time for that one officer to get fired. It's appalling. I wish we had lighter things to speak on, but that's just the reality. And that's just the real. Yeah, man. I mean, 120 days. And you're right. Like, we have lived through a pandemic. But we've lived, right? And it's unfortunate that she gets murdered and no one has to answer to it, right? And for me, like, what's crazy about it, you know, me connecting like life and all that is March 13th happens to be my birthday. She was killed on my birthday. And I've lived 120 plus more days since then. March 13th also happens to be your mom's birthday, Jeff, who's another black woman that easily her life could have been taken for no apparent reason, right? And here we are, still no answers. And still people are out in the streets protesting. I mean, those are the protests yesterday. They protested right in front of the, the governor's home, peacefully. And of course, those people get arrested. And those people are, are getting charged with like felonies right now. But the people that murdered this woman in cold blood, nothing really happens to them. Like we said, one person gets fired. And that's one person. And that's with all this pressure still gets fired. When, when the police break into her house and just start shooting and then her partner starts shooting back. You know why? Because people are just randomly shooting into their home. He initially gets charged, right? And then, of course, there's political pressure, and eventually those, those charges get dropped. But still, police at any point can bust into your home and shoot at you, and you cannot defend yourself. 
and you get murdered and no one, there still is no defense. And, and that's the crazy thing, right? Because you look at this no knock warrant thing, that type of uh, policy takes place across the country. And since Breonna Taylor's murder, you have seen this law dismantled or this practice dismantled. You have laws being named after Breonna Taylor that are prohibiting no knock warrants. You have streets and days being named after her. And you know, that's cute. I mean, you know what? That's great news, you know, that they got rid of that. But just arrest the damn people. We're not even asking for all that. We just want justice. The sad thing is that, and to bring this to George Floyd, but you know, what we're still trying to do for Breonna Taylor, is that we literally have to move heaven and earth for some change to happen. The fact that it took the amount of times, the long time that it took to see George Floyd's killer be arrested after his murder was captured on camera and half the country burned. It's like, what would you have to let us do for you just to do the right thing? So this has been going on for four months now. This is a whole seat. A lot of things can happen in four months. You had 138,000 Americans die from COVID-19 since the time Breonna Taylor took her last breath. It's appalling. Yeah. You know, what, what needs to be done, what has yet to be done, is the attorney general to step up and do his job. In the time since her killing, he celebrated his engagement to a lovely, what looks like a, a lovely young lady, and I absolutely wish them the best. You know, you never want to get in the way of love. But you got a job to do. You got a responsibility to uphold. And there are people counting on you, not just in your town and your state, but in this country, which is facing unrest unseen since the 60s. And you've got people kind of, as Sam mentioned, sitting outside your office protesting and getting arrested. And one of those people was Kenny Stills, the wide receiver in the NFL, who got arrested and, and wore a great shirt or his mugshot, which said that Breonna Taylor's killers are still police. And that's wild that you have someone protesting the death, peacefully protesting the killing of someone else, getting arrested quicker than the actual people who committed the heinous crime of shooting someone while they were asleep in their bed. And they were charged with felonies, right, Trevor? I know that Kenny's charges, yes, considered a felony. It's unfortunate. And I mean, I'm sure... I say that, I'm sure, but you never know with this justice system in this country. But I hope that those charges will be dismissed. I mean, that judges will come to their senses there. But it's insane that that's even a reality, that you can face a felony charge for protesting against something that is justified, for lack of a better word. Yeah, and um, shout out to those celebrities who have stepped up and made the trip to Ground Zero, Tamika Mallory who's a, a great activist, great queen, traded truth to rapper, Mr. Steele's NFL player, and uh, Portia Williams, who um, has also been arrested and has uh, been very eloquent in describing her ordeal, you know, with the police encounters and uh, what they went through um, throughout the protests. But literally protesting to get the people who are sworn to protect arrested. They're arrested before that. And the other crazy thing about this is that this is somebody who literally worked as a public servant. I mean, if you're not going to do this for a Breonna Taylor, then who do you do it for? This is not to not George Floyd or 
anybody else, because no one deserves death at the hand of law enforcement unless they are looking to harm law enforcement themselves. And with that being said, this is your ideal citizen, right? Like this is the person, like she's, for those supremacists out there, one of the good ones. You know, she worked as an EMT. You know, she helped save lives. So if her life didn't have value, then you're pretty much saying that no black life has value. Yeah, and you know, the thing that is still troublesome, on top of, you know, the way we feel about like, the way the justice system works for people like us is that what they try to appease us with like symbolic gestures, right? So like you've talked about having like a national day or maybe naming a street after her or in the wake of like all the George Floyd stuff, oh, we'll let you put Black Lives Matter as a mural on a street. That's cool, right? But that's not what we're asking for is justice. And unfortunately, we, we still get into a place where all people want to do, politicians, all they're trying to do is just the peace folks. They're not actually putting things into practice. Shout out to some who are, right? But for the most part, all we ever really get are some vague, symbolic gesture. And we kind of look at the way things move in this country. What we do see is the thing that has the most impact is like the almighty dollar. So we can even get into the fact that the football team in Washington, after years of pressure, were unwilling to like change their name. But you know what? They finally decided that they'd be willing to change their name when Nike pulled their money, when Pepsi pulled their money, when FedEx pulled their money. Now all of a sudden, oh, you know, we have to think about all this and we have to do an internal investigation to figure out how we do what our next steps will be. But everything else was just a symbolic gesture. Yeah, and there's gestures that fall short. In the case of Brianna, you know, I feel like we as a people often chalk it up to the system and, and the people that are in place in the system. And, you know, and some folks feel disenfranchised about their ability to change that, that system through voting. But in this case, the attorney general is a black man. So you're kind of counting on your own people to take care of yourself. But then, like, even when they let you down, who do you turn to? And that's what I think has obviously fueled the unrest that we've seen. But the Redskins, to your point, so about the dollar. And I apologize for even saying their formal name, the Washington team, because it's been long overdue for them to make that update. But it's kind of, it's just a Johnny Come Lately thing for me, man. And I, I personally don't really care what they name that team. There's no coming back from that. And, and not being from that area, obviously, I don't have ties to the team and supporting them. But, you know, the NFL has had a history of kind of being late to come into Jesus and kind of realizing the error of their ways. See Kaepernick come a Colin. So it's just another day of the life for them. Yeah. It's actually pretty refreshing to see that you had an owner like Dan Snyder, who uh, seven years ago when this topic was visited, I believe back in like 2013, 2014, he said he would absolutely never consider changing the name of the Washington than the Redskins. And the fact that people can't see the issue, but yet a lot of those same people had issue with ESPN analyst Imani Jones wearing a shirt that said the Caucasians. And uh, it may have had a couple of dollar signs by the um, silhouette or the mascot of a blonde haired white man. And it's just the fact that when you take a look at the Native American headdress, that means something, okay? Those war chants that you're mocking, it means something. And they essentially turned their culture and appropriated it and made it a joke for profit. And 
I don't think that they're sharing any of the profits from the Redskins brand with native people or indigenous people. And so you have to ask yourself, you're okay with seeing Native Americans mocked this way. Would you be okay with fried chicken being waved in the stands instead of a tomahawk or someone wearing a huge yarmulke or spending dreidels in the audience? It absolutely would not go. Absolutely not. But yet, you know, again, Native Americans are accustomed to being shitted on. And that's what Snyder planned to do this time around. So when you talk about brands that are actually doing something, I want to give a huge shout out to Nike. I mean, they stepped up. They had Kaepernick's back when this thing first went down, give them an endorsement deal. And they set the mark and said, listen, you're, you're not going to make money on our website no more, Dan Snyder, and pulled Redskins merchandise off the website. That's how a brand can truly use their power to infect positive change. That's how you use your leverage. That's how you force somebody's hand. And you see, money talks, bullshit walks. Absolutely right, Jeff. And really, as money kind of started flying out of the window immediately, that's when the team in Washington decided to, because, you know, right now they're nameless until they figure out what their next name will be, right? And for someone like Daniel Snyder, who's been abrasive on the subject, I, I do wonder what way they'll go, right? But it's funny because, you know, even like offline, what, what we've kind of been talking about is even like the intent of our show, right? Like we've done our best to cover some topics and speak our minds and, and try to be as free as possible. But there is a level no matter what, where like, even unfortunately, we have to be careful and speaking to, and, and I know Jeff, you brought up some examples of like things that are offensive, right? And look, looking at the things that happened with, with Nick Cannon this week as well, right? He said some like incendiary things and immediately lost his job, lost his voice, all that. And unfortunately, what it feels like is, you know, an attempt to like mute a black voice. And although no one is, is here defending what he had to say, there still was a level of like, why is it that Black voices always have to be careful, yet I can go on Fox News and I can be Carlson Tucker and say all kinds of things, right? Greta Van Susteren, like all these things, shut up and dribble, like all these things that can kind of demean us and talk very specific to our culture. But when a Black voice kind of touches on any other culture we have to be careful and navigate through these things i'll even add another example to it i mean and it's a show that i enjoy a great deal and my wife brought it to my attention with uh, joe rogan he's uh, very casually thrown out the n-word out there and justifies it because his stepdaughter happens to be half african-american joe's not getting reprimanded as a matter of fact he's being offered a hundred million dollars and a lot of times Black voices, you know, we dig up their tweets and we see something they may have said five or six years ago and they are put in a position where either they apologize or they are going to kiss any opportunity goodbye. And just for the record, like, I think it was right for Nick Cannon to apologize for a slew of reasons. I mean, when you do research, you do see that he was uh, kind of like reinforcing certain stereotypes that aren't helpful to the conversation and to the dialogue. But ultimately, you know, he apologized in, in, in full force. Whereas you would see a lot more African-Americans take, not the position that Nick Cannon took, but 
other positions like taking a knee, but their livelihoods are often threatened. I, I guarantee you that while Colin Kaepernick was doing his peaceful protests against police brutality, he was getting a slew of text messages from NFL players. But what comes down to is that they have a family to support. They have kids to send to school. They have to pay child support. They have to pay a mortgage. They have to pay for their businesses. And when it comes down to it, anything that they might want to stand on, right or wrong, it's not worth losing it all. Yeah, and again, it speaks to the nature of how careful we all have to be. And unfortunately, we're always pit against either each other or against the people who are willing to pay us or not. And we don't get the same kind of freedom or luxury that others might get. All this to say, even even on this show, you know, we've had debate around like the things that we can say and, and what might be right and what might be wrong. And we're always like, well, this is how we feel and this is what we want to say, but we always have to be mindful. What exactly are we mindful about? Who's our audience? It's y'all, it's us. We can speak amongst friends, but unfortunately, we're always put in a place that is dangerous to others, right? And I really do want to push that, that glass ceiling a little bit. Here's one thing I will say, though, Sam. I think that sometimes it's not a bad thing to kind of have pause before you actually put things in the atmosphere. Like we mentioned before, things are constantly evolving. News is constantly breaking. And the way you might have felt about a topic a day or two ago might potentially change two days later. But if you jump out on a limb and you state how you felt in that moment, when it's recorded or broadcast on a podcast, that's out for a long time. And that might not represent your views that you might have today versus what you had yesterday. It might not represent your views a week from now. And it sure as hell won't represent your views five years from now. So that's the one thing that I think is the benefit of, I guess, dialogue amongst each other as as brothers is challenging each other and also uh, making sure that we are able to unpack how we feel and and see if there's any merit to how we feel. And if we still feel that way a a day later, it's probably okay to put it out there and we'll probably be a lot more informed before we actually express and articulate that opinion. Do we think that counterparts feel the same way? Do we think that they say, oh, well, let me think about it. Or are they free to go on air and say, you know what? This is what I feel, and you know, and this is my worldview. Yeah, no, I, I don't think they uh, put it this way. The threat, the ramifications to them aren't really uh, deal to them. You know, they don't really think about losing it all. They might say we might get some heat on social media, but a lot of them are not thinking about losing their jobs or having their their livelihoods threatened. Where's the equity in that? For real, we're dancing on eggshells, and and you know, like I'm sorry because ultimately, like even for us, like when, when we set out to create this and we talk about like what for real could be, you know, we wanted to have a little bit more fun, right? And and talk about the world and how we saw it and you know our worldview. But fortunately, a lot of things are just happening in the world, especially in 2020. And you know, eventually, we got to a point where yes, we had to to speak on things, right? And a shitty year. Yeah, and, and really that, that's the only way you can really categorize it. And I've had to take a step back a little bit and, and think about the fact that maybe a year like 2020 had to happen, where unfortunately it took a pandemic for people to be sitting in their houses watching TV basically 24-7, right? Or social media. 
for them to be like, oh, that doesn't look right. Like, you know what? That's scary, right? And it speaks to all of us, the fact that people were out on the street and protesting and seeing like, hey, this is wrong. But ultimately, are we at a place where all the things that we're seeing are just symbolic or is there actual change that's happened? Trevor, what do you feel about our initial plans for this podcast? Getting together, starting on Zoom meetings, talking about the last dance and other cool topics, and then uh, getting to the point we're at right now. Like, what what's your take on that? And like, how do you feel about what we plan to do versus where we're at? Yeah, it's crazy. And I think the past week is really just a microcosm of all that's been going on over the past few months. When we, as Sam mentioned, when we kind of got together and had the intentions of doing a podcast, we didn't necessarily know what we wanted to talk about. So we played around with a bunch of stuff, like what kind of felt right for us. And that helped us to kind of land on a topic and, and land on a theme. But our theme was never set out to be, you know, this this woke show, this this social justice show, the show addressing the hard issues in a black community. Like we, we are black men and that's something that we always wanted to make sure that came across in the topics and passions that we have that we intend to speak on. But we wanted to crack some jokes sometimes and we wanted to laugh about how bad the last dance was and, and things like that. Like we wanted to get into that stuff, but society really made it hard to talk about anything else other than what's going on in the world right now. And, and that brings us to today's like this, where there's some stuff that we, we don't have the energy to talk about anymore because we've been tired for years and we've been dealing with grief and we've been dealing with, with hardships as a people and as a country. So sometimes you want to take a break, but you can't, man, because these mics are still hot every week. Yeah, I think it's important not to come off as tone deaf um, during this time. If you guys have been following what's been going on in the NBA, you have some NBA players who are essentially complaining about the meals that they've been getting to their hotel room. And they've been getting criticized by the likes of uh, NBA analyst Jason Williams for saying, hey, guys, look, you know, people are actually dying right now. And you guys are living in pretty good quarters in a hotel but yet you're complaining about it. With so much going on, like, I mean, I, I promise you, w- with the exception of maybe the last prop, the Pop Smoke album that just dropped, like, I don't know any new music that's come out. Is anyone even following music? Is, are there any new shows dropping? I, I think I watched everything on Netflix. It's just really hard to enjoy life. Yeah, and, and, and what I was saying, I'm not going to say this in, in defense of NBA players, but I will say this. It's funny, as guys were getting ready to like go into this NBA bubble, and, and for those who don't know, the way the NBA is finishing their season, they're going to put a bunch of players basically in a bubble, basically. In, in Orlando, Magic Kingdom, all that, they basically sectioned off their players, right? And what players were saying right as they were moving in is that they felt like they were about to do a prison bid, right? Because they're bidding farewell to their families, right? They're saying bye I might see you in three months. And for us, we're like, well, it's three months. It's nothing, whatever, right? But think about it. For us, we've all been quarantined in like our apartments and, you know, in very short distances for three to four months already. So NBA players have had to do the same thing. And now we're asking them to do it again for another three or four months. In itself carries a lot of weight. But I think that, yes, although they are living in in a hotel and might be living a little better, a little more luxurious than us. It's still like a a hard decision to leave your family in the the middle of a pandemic in order to work as your livelihood and profession, but also just like 
it is just a game, right? And is it worth risking your life over or not being around to support your family if something were to happen to them? So I, I do understand a little bit of the, the struggle, what it would be for an NBA player. But again, like, it's also very difficult when you're not the people that are, like, involved in the decision so much. This was about... Again, we talked about like the almighty dollar with, you know, the team in Washington, but this is about the almighty dollar when it comes to like sports and revenue, right? It is ESPN wanting to be able to put out a product, the NBA wanting to put out a product, the NBA owners wanted to get some money off a TV deal, right? And at the end, like the people who are at risk are the players. And, you know, as this kind of draws a, a very big parallel, and I know eventually this might not be the episode for it. But, you know, the stuff that's been happening in the White House around, hey, kids should get ready to go to school. That's what needs to happen. But you know what? Are all the school teachers in the world feeling that right now? I don't know. And that's, that's something that we'll, we'll eventually get into. Well, um, I, guess, I guess the best place to start is we do have one parent on this podcast. So, uh, T-Back, you know, you have a child, a young child. How do you feel about sending your kid to school daycare whatever it might be i mean deuce has already been at daycare so it's not a change for me but also you know daycares aren't schools right so you might have 10 20 toddlers in a class in a daycare and that's the, the full kind of range of the people in that building plus you know three or four kind of teachers if you will going to a school you know you're in a classroom of 25, 30 kids plus your teacher, then you have to think about the cafeteria, then you have to think about the playgrounds, you have to think about the school buses. There are a lot of of instances where you're going to come in very close contact with a lot of different people. And I've seen some mock-ups or some photos of how some schools are kind of trying to embrace social distancing and putting up little plexiglass kind of uh, guards between, between desks. I don't know if that's enough. And I don't know if we've really paid enough attention to not just what that means for our children, because a lot of parents are, and speaking not for myself, but from others, a lot of parents are just taking the, the stance of, hey man, this kid gotta get out of my house. He's eating up all my food. They want me to entertain. I gotta teach him. I don't have the energy for this. And that's a fair gripe to have. But think about that teacher that then is kind of, ha- is forced to put their life on the line, right? They're forced to put their life on the line to take care of and to educate your child so that you can resume your work. But what happens for them? They now have to be put in close contact with likely hundreds of people on any given day with, I'm sure, limited PPE resources as, as school budgets have, have been limited for, for years, decades, even the most basic supplies. So you're kind of asking them to put their life on the line so that you can live a little easier. And I don't know how fair that is by any means. So I'm not in favor of rushing kids back to school, but I do understand why some parents might want it. I don't think that should be something that's being forced on them by the government as it's currently been constructed in in a few states. What do we make of the culture of a place like Disney World that to this day has their corporate offices closed, but are opening the theme park and all corresponding parts to the public during this pandemic, which, by the way, is wreaking havoc in Florida right now. And I mean, obviously, you know, you have a trash-ass governor there, along with Georgia, who's <laughs> lifting mask-wearing restrictions um, and so on and so forth. So, yeah, so what do we make about that? Uh, Disney not sending their employees to the corporate offices, but allowing 
our families to go in and, and touch those contaminated ass teacups. I think it, it says what exactly it says that my life is more valuable than yours. And really it's about like money, right? It's, it's about in, in order for us to sustain ourselves, right? Like I'm an owner in order for us to sustain ourselves. I need that money. Right. And I will do all the things to, at my disposal in order to generate some revenue, generate some income at the cost of what someone else's life or, you know, at the cost of endangering other people. That's why this thing is like super dangerous because ultimately what, what happens is the people making the decision, it's, it's similar to, you know, how, how people talk about, you know, the government and how we'll go into war with some countries. Why? Because all you're doing is signing something that says we're going to go ahead and do this, but you're not the ones on the battlefield. You're not the ones at ground zero. You're not the ones that put your lives on the line. And unfortunately, like, I think that what that like the gross mismanagement of all of this has has led to people having to risk their lives yeah it's unfortunate but you know that's kind of the american way right you put the pawns out to work in the field you put the pawns out to fight on the front lines you put the pawns out to live at the lowest rung of the ship thinking about the, the titanic right like that that's always how how our society has been structured to kind of let the, the the least fortunate to bear the kind of first wave of, of whatever's coming that may be the worst ahead. So unfortunately, I expect nothing less of this country, but a corporation like Disney obviously has the means um, and the leadership to do better. I don't know if we as a society have put enough pressure on them to make them do better, but at the same time, you have as we touched on, like you got a bunch of folks that have been in the house for four months and you have their kids who are not in school and these parents and these kids, they need somewhere to go. And then you also have the pressures at a political level of generating revenue for these businesses and all of these folks are unemployment. So it's a little bit of a catch 22 and that like, if you don't do anything, you're losing on both fronts. So I don't envy the folks in political positions that have to make those decisions I do question, though, if there's a better way to go about it. So, guys, when are we going to talk about something fun? <laughs> no. So, I mean, going back to, to even like what I had initially said, and I know Trevor and, and Jeff kind of jumped in on, this wasn't our original intent. 2020 took us here, right? So, what we want to be able to do is stop, pause, take a breath, try to like smell the roses, try to find something that inspires us and, and motivates us. But like, yeah. 2020, like, this is where you've kind of, like, brought us and, and brought a lot of the world to, right? And as you see, we've talked about 2020 as a year, but we also started out the episode talking about the last 120 days, right? And all those things have happened in the last 120 days. And unfortunately, we're, we're at a place where we're talking about everything that's happened in the world, and someone got murdered, 120 days ago and her killers haven't been brought to justice. And although we've known all the things that have happened in the last 120 days and, and what it would mean is, you know, someone like Breonna Taylor would be alive and stuck in, in her house as well. Wouldn't that have been a better fate? Absolutely. But to your point, man, she was in the house and nothing she could do about it. So it's like, I don't want to diminish it to that, but there is a parallel in her kind of being, what you would expect to be safe at home, 
and still losing her life and the choice that you have between opening up businesses and getting people back to work or keeping people safe at home. So you speak to a point, Trevor, in regards to uh, not envying those decision makers, those politicians, those elected officials and leaders, not envying those, those positions, but that's essentially what being a leader is all about, is understanding that the decisions you make aren't going to be popular with everybody. Ultimately, sometimes you got to do the right thing. And I think right now we're facing a very interesting point in society, especially with this administration, where I think there's two different parallels. There's economic value and there's human value. And with this administration and the flunkies who on a state level decide to follow lock and step with the president and what he chooses to promote, they had chosen the economy at the expense of American lives. I think when you do the right thing, eventually the economy would bounce back. You have to have society that has faith in their government and has faith in their political system. And right now, I think the public is seeing a government that's willing to do anything to stay in power, including lying to people and telling the public whatever just to survive to another election. So I think that's the question that we have to pose ourselves when you see, well, I'll I'll even just add this. What's happening with Disney World right now and them opening up the theme parks to generate income is an indictment on the culture that the people in Washington have set. Because if the White House said it's not okay to operate like this, then other companies and corporations would not feel empowered to operate like this. It starts at the top. You can say the president is only powerful um, on the executive level, but the most powerful thing that the president has is the bully pulpit. As a matter of fact, the president is the only person that literally could interrupt your grandmother's soap opera every day if he decides to have a press conference. So there's a lot of power in that. And what you see going on corporation-wise is as a result from the White House. But while we're on the subject, speaking of the White House, which one of you guys are going to cancel Goya? I mean, I wasn't eating it anyway, so it's nothing for me. You're a resident Afro-Latino. <laughs> Sam well, damn, damn. Are you, are you canceling Goya? You know how hard that is? But yeah, we, you kind of have to in, in the sense of the president ran a campaign talking all kinds of crazy shit about Mexicans and Hispanic and Hispanics and shithole countries and all that, right? So if you are then the, the president or CEO of Goya, for you to be like, yeah, and we love this man, right? And in the preceding days, for you to double down on that, and then for there to be like freaking ads in the White House, you know, with Trump taking some pictures with, with Goya, his damn daughter taking pictures with Goya. I'm, I'm gonna say this out loud, and yes, I'm fucking Dominican, yes, but fuck Goya, like, for real. Like, we've gone, we've gone way too overboard with um, the things that we're allowing in the White House and for us to kind of like sell ourselves out for the almighty dollar, because that's really what this is about, right? Like this is about, hey, well, like this guy's letting me run my business, so that's great. And you know, like we'll continue to make money, but at the expense of who? Your clients or all your customers who who buy your products? We talk about us as as a podcast not wanting to be tone deaf. Goya, are you not tone deaf? Do you not hear what's happening? Do you not see what's happening? 
Do you not see your people in cages? Do you not see the reason why some of your people try to cross rivers and mountains and whatever to get to this country? Like the shit that might be happening in some of their countries are so bad that they're willing to risk it all. And the reward that they get is not a path to citizenship, but instead they get to be put in cages and told that they are less than nothing. So for you to outright praise this president, you really have to do some soul searching. Are you able to to separate the man in that office from the company itself? Because there's the man and his own political views, and then there's the business that he's put in charge of operating but does not own. And I don't mean to defend him or, or Goya in this stance. Again, I'm, I wasn't a big customer before, so it's not a big deal for me to cut them off. But knowing that we do purport ourselves as the land of free speech and free thinking, if a guy has his own political views and wants to endorse a candidate who aligns with with his pockets, for lack of a better kind of way to, to phrase it, is it wrong to condemn that business and the workers behind it and the folks that go to the office every day for that reason and for their their leader who's appointed by a board that they didn't they didn't vote that guy in. There's a board of directors that kind of put him in that position. And even though he's been there for I think like 16 years, are we over extending that cancellation to an entire company, an entire workforce because of one man's views? Yeah, I think you pose a pretty interesting question. And I think it's something that we have to make peace with and decide for ourselves, whether it's Goya, whether it's the Cosby show, whether it's any other person in a position of leadership who leads a group of people. Often the burden is placed upon the people who work for that person. And these are just people who are just trying to make it. You know, there's a Goya factory, I believe, in Sea Caucus. And I assure you, most people that work at that Goya factory or people are making less than $40,000 a year or probably from the same community that the president is disparaging. So if we boycott Goya and in return, their profits go down, who's to suffer? The CEO of Goya is probably a multimillionaire and probably is making an exit strategy anyway. He's probably... He could probably retire any day now, honestly. He just chooses to go to work and collect another couple million dollars each year. Um, So we're not really hurting them. And that's probably hurting the people who work for the company. Same thing goes for when you cancel someone like Bill Cosby. You think you're hurting Bill Cosby, but you're sending actors like the guy Jeffrey, I forget his his last name, who probably was collecting residual checks from TV royalties, didn't plan his finances properly, and then had to take a job at Trader Joe's. By the way, there's something wrong with working at Trader Joe's. So there's a lot to unpack, but we also have to be very strategic on how we cancel and how we condemn. And also if we condemn the action, but not the person, and could people actually evolve on their stances? And I did want to, you know, actually Nick Cannon again from earlier episodes that we were speaking about, is that it's very, I think you can make a case to uh, take the opportunity not to dismiss him on his platforms, but also give him the room to educate himself, to better himself, because I think he was doing a lot of positive things. And, you know, he he misstepped. I think he went um, too far on some of those comments. And I I would hate for him to totally go dark. I I think that he's been doing a lot of great things for the black community. He just was wilding out for a little bit. Yeah, I just want to add and, and make it clear, again, on my stance, 
Nikan was wrong, and there's no other way to slice that. But to Jeff's point, I mean, I think it is, as, as human beings, it is a fair thing for us to do to give people the right to kind of redeem themselves, whether it's Nick Cannon, the CEO of Goya. I don't want to throw Bill Cosby into the mix because he's done a lot worse. Yeah, no, Bill Cosby's a rapist. And, you know, and I, I just speak to, you know, Nick as uh, someone in our family. Nick's our brother, and his comments were certainly out of place and, uh, and, and misinformed. And But I, I also don't want to publicly throw my brother underneath the bus. I, I want to pull him to the side and and, and help educate him and, and show him a better way. And I think that, you know, we have a responsibility, especially as black people, when we are often bullied, you know, and, and, and often um, disciplined and spanked in public to not pile on, but also, you know, do our things behind closed doors. And hopefully he can present a better version of himself and, yeah, ultimately just be better from his experience. I don't disagree. I always say that, yes, there's a, a road to redemption. And sure, my issues aren't with Goya itself, what the, the CEO had to say. So sure, I'm, I'm willing to kind of take a step back and think about that and really like channel what the my struggle there is. But yeah, I do think, yes, there, there's a, a fine line around like not condemning an entire entity and trying to solely focus on, you know, the, the issue you have at hand. For Nick Cannon, I think that he's proven that over the course of time, he's someone that has some good qualities. He's someone that will be able to like, regain hopefully like the public's support. And yes, it looks like he had a bad moment, right? And I think everyone's entitled to have a bad moment. I mean, we all do. We have a bad moment arguably almost every day, right? Like we do, and we bounce back. And sometimes our bad moment is only 30 seconds and most of the time it's not recorded, right? So I think that for Nick Cannon and others like him, there should be a path to redemption and and we should be able to like, hear them out. Listen, you know, we, we didn't reference it before, but, you know, Deshaun Jackson said a bunch of, you know, insensitive things and, and you know, wrongfully quoted an actual fake quote, you know, from Ad- Adolf Hitler, but either way, like, said a lot of, like, incendiary things and, like, took a lot of heat from it, right? But now here we are. He's meeting with people who are Jewish. He's going to go visit some Holocaust survivors. Like he's going to do these things. He's going to, he's on that path to enlightenment. So, you know, we all, we have to give people that space to do that. Yeah. I mean, I think if we as a people take anything from this time, we need to, to do better at, at learning about our fellow humans, man, and their stories, where they come from, what drives them what hardships they might have experienced in their house or or through their their legacy of, of generations. You know, we all can be better at that and nothing stops you from learning in this age where books are are definitely available everywhere and the internet is endless with some with some bad information as, as some folks have, have sure. picked up. But nothing stops you. Like everyone's free right now. Everyone's home. Pick up the phone if you haven't made a friend of of another race or background or experience outside of, of your core. Um, now is a good time to do so, man, because we need more understanding and love in these times more than ever. Yeah, I um, mean, you know, as a society, we have to live amongst each other and um, and respect one another. Anybody who's stating anything different, they're, they're living in a pipe dream. Like we're not going to be segregated. I mean, it's it, it does happen, you know. But as a whole, to survive as a society, especially in this nation. 
we're going to learn to, we have to learn to respect one another. Absolutely, man. And speaking of, of respect, to kind of bring it all full circle, I want to make sure we give a fair shout out um, to WNBA and Angel McCautry specifically, who really led the charge in, in bringing light to, to Breonna Taylor and is kind of making sure that, that players uh, can wear her name on the back of their jerseys this year which I think is an incredible way to honor her and the NBA couldn't even get it done, man. So I'll definitely be checking out some WNBA games this year and hope you guys all do the same. Yeah. Speaking of lives lost and uh, giving special shout outs during this week was the birthday of one of our brothers. Uh, The three of us were all a member of a fraternity uh, PSP. Tristan Ryan would have been 34 this past uh, Wednesday. So Special shout out to him and his family, and um, and special shout out to uh, all our brothers who uh, who've been showing support and, and and showing love. Rest in peace, Tristan. Definitely rest in peace, Tristan. Uh, not only a brother of Sigma Phi, but specifically was a brother in our chapter, right? So definitely rest in power to him. Um, I also did want to shout out another one of our brothers who, you know, had a a, a difficult beginning to the year, similar to myself where, where he experienced some loss. But, you know, it just so happened that his birthday was over the weekend and he was able to announce that him and, and you know, his lady were expecting. So definitely a, a shout out to, to High Rise. And also, you know, a little shout out to life, right? Like right now we, we have to be happy about all the small things and having a child during a pandemic isn't a small thing. It's an actual very big thing anytime you're having a child. So definitely a shout out to to the homie, as well as, you know, I'm going to a baby shower, drive-by baby shower this weekend. And I wanted to shout out that person as well. If she's listening, you know, definitely a shout out. Word, man. More life for real. And just before we hop off, man, I do want to send one last shout out, a rest in heaven to a, a, a classmate of mine, uh, Mary Morell, who was who was tragically killed on the fourth of July in a hit and run accident, but is and her killer is still out on bond. Um, so hopefully I'll get it together out in Connecticut, man. But shout out to her and and her sisters, everyone kind of fighting the fight to make sure that that justice for Mary is is served. I know she's kind of flying high up there in heaven as a butterfly right now. So definitely wanted to make sure we we acknowledge her before we hopped off. Absolutely, rest in peace to Mary. Shout out to our sisters in OPC. Yo, keep riding for your girl. And um, we support your fight. Justice for her. In life and love and death. To my last breath, man. Yeah, man. And thank you all again for rocking with us for one more episode, man. We, we love and appreciate all the feedback that we've gotten so far. Continue sending us that. We're trying to make the show better and better every week, man. I can only do that with you guys' support. Would love and appreciate for you guys to that subscribe button, man, on your favorite podcast app, be it Stitcher, Spotify, Apple, whatever it is. As always, we're on there. If we're not on there, we'll get on there. And want to ask you guys to take it a step further this week, man. Really appreciate everyone that's been posting about the show on social media. But take the time to really have a conversation with someone. If there's a topic on the show, whether it be dealing with right fragility or kind of adjusting to interracial relationships, whatever it might be, open up that dialogue with a friend and tell them that you were kind of inspired by the show and, and hopefully put them on to it, man, because we want more people to kind of hear these conversations that we're having and to continue the dialogue outside of these airwaves. So we'll be back next Monday. Again, thank you for rocking with us. Y'all know where we at on social, FRFR the podcast. Till then, peace.
insomnia.